Today's episode is brought to you by No Boring Design. Wow, what a name. No, we know this team well. We've brought them in to help with a number of engagements when design becomes a bottleneck for shipping campaigns quickly. Uh, also when design is boring, right? A lot of B2B status quo becomes boring and it doesn't have to be. So we bring this team in, they level up the quality design and they remove design as a bottleneck to ship campaigns, content, product marketing assets, you name it. If it needs a design and you're hung up on it, this team can help. Um, somehow they managed to do this. I think their price point starting out is 2,500 a month. Uh, obviously goes up from there, but what a great resource. We've seen them firsthand do great work with Dropbox, Yelp, a number of our big clients they've been a part of. So check them out, noboringdesign.com, noboringdesign.com. Welcome to season three of Best in SaaS, where we talk through patterns and playbooks in the revenue sprint to 100 million in ARR and beyond with the industry's most accomplished executives, entrepreneurs, and investors. Season three is brought to you by Chargebee. Chargebee helps SaaS businesses of all sizes maximize their growth potential and revenue with a leading global subscription management platform that delivers fast time to value plus exceptional service and support. Learn more at chargebee.com. All right, here we go. Another episode, this time with G. And I, I've been instructed I don't need to use a first or a last name, just G. And I think it's probably true that pretty much everybody listening to the episode knows who I have on. G, welcome to the show. Yes, good to have you. <laughs> so, I mean, for, for those of you who need a refresher, you have been a growth advisor or advisor to G2, metadata, abstract, uh, the list just keeps going on and on. You're the VP of growth at Drift. Um, and today you have your own firm, Hypergrowth Partners. So I'm really excited yeah. to dig into some of the stuff that excites you right now. And I know yeah. based on our previous conversation that this kind of mashup between economic market dynamics and low cost CAC strategies is just this interesting space that you've been spending some time thinking about. So like, let's take a step back and have you explain to the audience, what do you even mean by that? Yeah. So if we take like two step backs and like what I do these days, like I'm technically I'm an investor, right? I just invest different types of capital, right? I can invest my time capital or I can invest my financial capital. And so that's kind of why I look at the overall markets and the market trends. And I'm always analyzing like, where should my types of capital be best invested? Where do I believe there's an opportunity? And my time capital is invested where I think I can create a positive lift by working with a founder to like hyperscale uh, their company. Okay. Um, and, and currently what we're seeing, you know, obviously my, my investor side is seeing like the valuations uh, shoot through the roof at, at levels where like I'm having a hard time justifying them myself, right? Really. Uh, and I'm sure everyone is seeing that. And, and that's great for founders, right? It's a great time. If you, if you're thinking like, is now a good time to raise money? Yeah. Now's a good time to raise money. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> uh, and, and, and so, the consequences of that is that there's a lot more money, uh, there's a lot more cash available 
for founders to spend on growth. And unfortunately, it's not always spent in the best of ways. And often what, what, what is what's happening is that it's spent primarily, you know, on uh, pretty simplistic campaigns on few channels. Uh, and what happens as you try to go beyond like 2x or 3x year-over-year uh, -year growth, because that's kind of the new exp the new baseline from like your VCs, right? Really, like it used to be like like the goal, and that's kind of the baseline. <laughs> well, well, is that you're not as efficient, right? And your CAC is starting to increase. And it's very simple to explain. Like you know, like you found a good niche. Your product is probably better than your competitor's product. We hope it is, right? At least you believe it is. That's why you're founder. Um, and and you found the other adopters. And as you try to expand from that market and you expand the audiences, well, they react, you know, just a bit less. And the more you expand, you know, the, the less they react, uh, I'd say, strongly to your message, to your product, to your value, uh, to your proposition of value. A and the CAC increases and it increases and again and again. And you aren't like increasing your price, your ACV, as fast as you're increasing your CAC. And that obviously presents itself with a problem, right? Because like, well, at least for everyone who's in SaaS, like your margins should be in the like the 70s and up, 70% and up. And that's not what we're seeing these days, right? We're seeing the margins uh, uh, go down, often not, not the gross margins. I'm talking of the net margins, right? Uh, at least for the, the fully loaded when you, once you take into account like sales and marketing. And that's because just to put it bluntly, everybody's pouring money on Facebook in you know pretty simple campaigns and that's it and so as i told you earlier the way i think about it is that well founders delude themselves to vcs to raise capital and then they you know take a right turn and they hand that money to facebook uh and and so it's kind of if you were deluding yourself to facebook which is nonsense <laughs> so the question is uh, how do you conceive a growth strategy that uh, has a, a positive scaling effect, which means that the uh, marginal cost of acquisition of a new customer is lesser than the one prior. It decreases as you scale, right? So positive scaling effects. And that is not the case for most companies. And if you can achieve that, then you have a competitive edge, a very strong one. And there's this, if, if you haven't seen it, uh, I'm sure you can put it in, in, the, in the footnotes uh, of the podcast. There's this fantastic uh, research every year from uh, my friends at uh, KeyBank Capital. Uh, they have this big PDF on like SaaS performance. And in the middle of, 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 this, uh, of this deck, there's this graph on a growth rate per uh, revenue stage. So zero to five, five to 10 and, and you know, and, uh, along um, versus CAC from like zero to 2.50. So 2.50 means like you're spending $2.5 to acquire $1 of revenue. And to the bottom right, you're gonna see like companies that are very inefficient. So they don't grow fast. The bigger you are, the slower you grow and the more you're CAC inefficient. And to the middle and up, you see like those nice green bubbles that are like very efficient. What this means is that the more efficient companies are able to grow significantly faster. So that is, I think, like what most founders come to me for these days is, gee, like what was what you were able to do at Segment, at Drift, at Gorgeous to have those like significant like your very growth rates with constrained resources, is this applicable to my business? So that's the big question.
Love it. So I'm curious whether there are examples that you personally had your hand in or just examples in the industry. What are some of your favorite plays or strategies that have successfully helped companies go from that fork in the road? They're like, okay, we can either go this traditional route where we're going to hand our our capital over to Facebook or other channels and and grow that way versus the efficient route. I'd love to hear some of those stories. Yeah, I have many examples. We could probably just find a few, but I think a lot of them, that's where, you know, people think like, why is, why is this like, sometimes we talk of growth hacking when we talk of growth, like what is hacking coming to play? But it's not really hacking in terms of like security and whatnot. It's like, it is like using systems and tools in a different way to differentiate, to differentiate yourself and your approach. The one thing I like to say is if your competitors use uh, Marketo and Facebook and you use Marketo and Facebook, well, differentiating is going to be really hard, right? Because there's just like this limited number of things you can do, you know, there. Um, so so th- that's the first thing. It's, uh, it's try to use different tools, try to use the cutting edge tools and, and platforms. Um, and when you see a new platform open, there's always an opportunity. Uh, when the Quora open Quora ads, that's an opportunity. You got to go try it. All right. And the same is true for Reddit ads and, and so on for the, for the paid ads. Same is true right now for like ABM and some like super personalized things. The hacking side, that's, you know, the, at least in, in that direction, generally what we see is finding ways to collect information about the business. I'm mostly in B2B. So collect information about the business, who they are, what they do, what um, signals can you find to personalize your marketing so that it becomes more relevant and it has um, better conversion rates. Create value. The examples I'm going to give are around differentiation, but also around creating real value for your future customer, even before they experience the product. A lot of what you see in growth are, in some ways, um, pre-product products. It's a team of engineers and product people who are creating a quasi product that gives people some value, some insight into you know what you could be offering, giving them gives them confidence with very little friction. The world of, of growth marketing is about reducing the front loaded friction of getting into the product and increasing the perceived or, or uh, say the value that people are convinced they're going to get. Um, look at um, for example Drift. Okay, so Drift is a live chat. Um, and to get the value of the product, you need to install a JavaScript on your site. That has a high friction moment. You need to talk to engineers, you need to deploy it in uh, in dev, and maybe then, and, and so on and so on. So that's like, that takes a lot of effort. And as you move, as Drift moves into the SMB market and, and you know, enterprise market, it's unlikely to happen before like multiple sales calls. So there's no way for people to experience the value, okay? So what my team set on doing was creating much simpler products that could convince the stakeholders of some of the potential value that they were going to get. I'll give you one example. We created this uh, this website called Get My Response Time, um, which uh, automatically uh, discovered the websites of our prospects, crawled those websites, found the contact form, filled the contact form with a demo request. In the name of a legit company that we had created on LinkedIn with employees and, and, and all of that, okay? And then we measured the difference in time between the demo request 
and the follow-up from the sales team in hours. And we then inject that in a personalized email to the VP of sales and say, hey, Elias, your sales team responded in four hours and 30 minutes. It's okay, but it's not great. If you brought that down to less than one hour, you'd increase your conversion rate by 30%. And we don't even talk of a product. Obviously, chat is better than going faster, but we're pointing out something that they might not know that is a real problem, which is factual. They can check in their Salesforce. They'll see the response time, right? And so what happened is that the VP of sales said, no, no, my team is better than that. And they check again and they check again. And the third time, well, then there's a good time for your sales team to say, hey, you know, like maybe we should talk. Okay. So that's an example of like uh, automation, what people would call growth hacking. There's no hacking happening, it's automation um, to create a data point that is unique, that your competitors don't, do not have, that is truly valuable. I'll give you another example, different vertical, uh, gorgeous. Uh, it's a help desk for um, e-commerce, okay, for merchants to help people be more efficient on, on their uh, support. And we also built a bot, a scraper, that would scrape Instagram from uh, merchants. Because, you know, a lot of D2C happens on Instagram these days. And we were scraping all the posts from the merchants and looking for comments uh, from the general public. And we would take those comments and we would uh, push them to my friends at MonkeyLearn that have this fantastic sentiment analysis API. We look for negative messages. And then we found one, we'd loop back for the next 48 hours to see, is there a response from the brand? If there's none, we'd screenshot that automatically again, inject it to the head of marketing and say, hey, the head of marketing, we saw, we love your products. And we saw this, some people who are complaining and saying things, you know, you should, you should get to it and you should respond. It's good, good practice. Just respond there on Instagram. Do that. It's going to be good for your brand. You just missed it. And the response we're getting is like, thank you. Because again, it's true, it's factual, it's helpful, and it is good practice. And yes, you missed it. Of course, it so happens that my product helps with that. We don't say that, we don't point to it. We create trust, we create value. And the next time that we send an email, AWS is gonna open our email. Cause it's like, oh wait, maybe I missed, maybe I missed something else. <laughs> Automation of value. Now think of those two examples. Those two examples have a setup cost. They are quasi products. There's an engineer, there's a front end, there's a database. It takes us you know, like maybe two weeks to build and like debug. Every nth user that goes through it and gets value is almost free for us. Like it's just a bit of like bots and like servers running, right? Almost free. So the marginal costs of each new user is close to zero and decreases the total CAC of the experiment, right? Cost per user. That's growth in a nutshell for you. And I could have like dozens of uh, I'd say examples like that, but that's the mindset. The mindset is how can you create value, real or at least um, a value that people believe in at the minimum cost to you that is hard for your competitors to replace or do automatically. Those are, those are the examples. And there's just so many examples we could go through, right? But every time I look at a new vertical, right now I'm like helping companies like ramp.com on the FinTech side, we find ways. We always find ways to do that. All right. So before we get on to the second half of this episode, I'd like to give a quick shout out to our close friends over at Mattermade. For those of you who don't know them, Mattermade helps some of the fastest growing B2B SaaS companies drive revenue as an extension of their marketing teams. We're talking companies like Dropbox, Calm, Loom, Product Board, and many others who trust Mattermade to help them drive their marketing and demand gen initiatives. 
You can check out their seemingly endless supply of case studies over at mattermade.co. Now let's get back to the episode. What question, you know, for, for folks out there who are listening to this and they're wondering themselves like, okay, there are, there are always ways like what question, what other questions should they be asking themselves to confirm that that is the case for themselves and that they should be thinking through this? Mm-hmm. Generally, my, my approach is to listen to uh, sales calls. So I check sales calls. I do like 10, 20 sales calls. And I try to check who are the best sales reps. How do they do it? What do they pitch? And what is the promise? And sometimes they've developed similar tools that they do manually, but it's still the same tools. They're going to find pain points uh, within their uh, prospects, and then they're going to crush on those pain points like hell, right? And mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, that's cool. Can I automate that? And I talk with those salespeople and say, hey, like, what could I tell you about your prospects? What could what kind of like the sales content could I give you? And then I automate it. And then I automate the sales process around it. So that's, that's generally the, the, the approach. How do you, I'm curious, this is, this is like a massive shifting of gears, but you know, for your, for your brain to be able to jump into these problems and kind of cut through a bunch of noise in a fast growth organization mm-hmm. to find these opportunities, like what it is, what is it that you do personally? to keep your brain fresh and like, how do, how do you stay as sharp as you yeah. are with this stuff? <laughs> so um, one thing is I'm very open-minded to, um, let's say very uh, fresh new projects, entrepreneurs that are just about, you know, starting. The truth is that many seasoned marketers like myself that have like 10 plus years of marketing behind them, don't allocate the time to discover or test new things. Like, oh, it's, it's, it's too small. It's like it's un- uncertain. It's true. That's where the next wave is going to come. That's what's going to happen. Like, if you miss the entire wave of like LinkedIn automation, like you miss opportunities there. Okay. For, I, for example, I've got one of my portfolio companies. They did 80% of their pipeline on LinkedIn conversational ads. <laughs> Why? Because they jumped first and they built skills there, right? And obviously, there's, a, there's, you know, a, there's a return to the mean after like a year and a half. Now, I'm just using it and like it's kind of normalizing, right? So you've got to do that. Um, that's, that's the first thing. And this, I see the second is I always, I, I think of myself as kind of a plumber of the internet. Like the systems work best, not in isolation, but when you connect them together. I'll give you a simple example that almost everybody fails at. Most orgs, let's say Series B, Series C, have by now developed some fairly good paid acquisition strategies on the top of funnel. They have like granular ads in AdWords. They got a good agency there and some good like, uh, say, audiences on Facebook, lots of landing pages and custom creatives. Cool. Works well. Landing pages have people like, you know, sign up or like register as a lead or whatnot. Okay, for those that are PLG that push people to sign up, what happens next? I guarantee 95 of the 100, they get the same onboarding experience, the same welcome emails. And now you look at that, you're like, this is crazy. Like we did insane amount of efforts to like personalize, find what made them tick with different like hooks, different CTAs, different like creatives. 
And then we just compress all of that, like the big crush into like one onboarding. <laughs> like we don't even keep the information about the industry or the company size that we got to like change the social proof on the sign up, change like the onboarding message. Most apps I talk to, most, most SaaS I talk to are very horizontal. Okay, let's take Ramp. Ramp is a good example. Okay, it's, it's, a, it's a FinTech like spend management and credit card mashed into one. That means that they cater to all industries. Let's say almost all industries. Segment is the same, drift is the same. Okay, which means that we are forced to create content that is very verticalized. The best credit card for like SaaS apps, the best credit card for healthcare, whatever, right? And so you got, when people click there, you, if, if you don't use that information and preserve it into uh, throughout the entire experience, it's, it's almost criminal, right? You're destroying information that will be gone forever that you paid for. Okay, you're not just paying for the click. People think I pay for the click. No, you're paying for the information of what made them tick. Preserve that. And also tell your sales reps. Again, I guarantee nine of 10 companies do not tell their sales reps in the CRM What's the ad that was clicked? What's the landing page? And what was the message? And you know what happens? They do the discovery call and they ask all the same questions again, right? Why are you here? What's making you interested? And like, but it was on the landing page. And, <laughs> and, and so like you're wasting those, those crucial, those crucial first minutes. So keep capture information, preserve information. And I'm not talking of doing some crazy PII thing, which is like against like the law GDPR. No, like, you just paid for an ad and somebody come on your landing page. Like you have the, totally, you're in your damn right to use that. It's quite the opposite. If you don't use it, I'll come knocking your door. <laughs> oh man, this is, I, I love it. It's taking the, uh, the handoff between sales and marketing to the level that it should have always been at. Yeah. So. Yeah, but, but that's the thing is that my wife is a, is, a, is a sales leader. So like that has helped like, like I structure a bit how I think about it. I can imagine my, actually, my wife is also a sales leader. And I similarly, like so much of the, the way that I think about marketing is in part informed by like hearing her rants about, you know, all that jazz. So I'm, I'm curious I'm sorry who for the, you. Yeah. <laughs> likewise. Um, I'm curious, who are some of the people in your career who have been influential, whether mentors or peers, just folks who have been there through your journey? Yeah. I'd say that the people that we forge, so Brian Balfour, uh, you know, um, Andrew Chen, uh, but also some that are less known, like uh, Darius Contractor um, and Elena Verna have been very influential for me. Uh, for example, the growth framework that I use today, that I implement in all of my portfolio companies, uh, which helps us evaluate experiments one against the other and forecast what's our contribution to the bottom line going to be next month has been invented and created by Darius Contractor. I made changes, absolutely. But it's his framework. It's called Evelyn. It's on the uh, Airtable uh, website. It's, it, Evelyn means Experiment Velocity Engine. And he created it when he was head of growth engineering at Dropbox. Very influential. Love it. Well, listen, gee, this has been a really fun conversation. I don't think I've laughed this much on an episode in a while. So you had me, uh, whether don't it talk came to French people mic. enough, that's <laughs> yeah, why I, I was in stitches, man. Well, listen, this is great. And, uh, I'm sure our audience is going to love it. So have a great one. Thanks for having me. 